Hey there, and welcome back to another episode of Control Alt Azure. This episode is sponsored by Solvetto. Stay ahead of the game and advance your career with continuous learning opportunities for Azure cloud professionals. Solvetto, EduHouse, learning as a lifestyle. Start your journey now on eduhouse.fi slash cloudpro. I'm Tobias. I'm back again with UC. What's up? Good morning, Toby. We spent the weekend with the family visiting a nearby city. We had some stuff we had to take care of. So we were strolling around the city and, and one of my kids, the 13 year old, he saw a store that sells airsoft and paintball guns and the equipment for that. I, I sort of know what uh -oh. it is, <laughs> but I really don't know what it is. So we go in because the kid insisted on, on he wanted to get like a laser sight scope thingy for his AK-47 replica airsoft. I didn't even know he owns one. And uh, I do know a lot more now because the staff was very knowledgeable and they were not afraid to let me know also what I should be knowing about the stuff. I think they really wanted to sell me something. So now I think this is probably how regular people feel when they go to a tech event, that you have a lot of knowledgeable people really wanting to share their information with you. Nice. On my end, over the weekend, I spent some time with some good friends outdoors doing an overnighter by the sea. We did sleep in a wind shelter, brought some cooking gear and had a pretty good time, you know, getting out of the digital landscape for a bit. Some great conversations and really nice food. What's fun is usually when we go out, we meet people along the trails and we met two individuals from Germany who were riding their bike from Germany to Sweden and back. And then we met a couple who came all the way from Lyon in France on their bicycles as well. And they rode all the way to Sweden and they were continuing all the way up to Norway. Uh, so we had a lot of uh, fun stories told and, and we heard a lot of fun stories from their uh, great adventures as well. So we had some great company for the evening. So that was an Kind of interesting weekend. Good stuff. Uh, a couple of community highlights. There's an interesting blog post from Martin Baliov on running the Llama AI model on a consumer hardware locally using C Sharp. So the link for this you can find in the show notes. Toby, did you find anything interesting from the community? I did. So this is from Valentina Alto. Um, about introducing Langflow, which is a GUI or graphical user interface for Langchain. So Langchain is the Python library that makes it easy to kind of combine the power of LLMs with the logic of an application. And then Langflow now is a GUI for Langchain, just to provide an easy way to kind of experiment and prototype flows so you can use drag and drop components in a chat box. So that's a, a pretty interesting update if you're into uh, LLMs and if you're using Langchain uh, for Python. Alrighty, interesting stuff for sure. So today's episode is an interesting topic. It's about subscription vending to enable democratization of Azure. I have to admit, I have no idea what this means. I did have a look at some of the source content that we were able to get and, and the links for those in the show notes as well. But we actually brought in an expert on this. So let's dive in today with our guest, Jack Tracy from Microsoft. Welcome, Jack. Why don't you introduce yourself? 
thank you both for, for having me and uh, it's great to be here my avid listener of the podcast so uh, good to finally be here um so i work at microsoft as you quite rightly mentioned i am in our customer architecture and engineering team which is a global team uh, that sits as part of our customer success unit that helps our customers solve some of the biggest problems that they're having and then really create content ip reusable material that then helps our customers adopt as well as our field and our partners adopt and help customers push the needle forward faster. Uh, so subscription vending is uh, one of those topics that I, I tackled over the last six months with one of my colleagues, Matt. And yeah, it'd be great to, to chat a little bit more about what that does today. All right. That sounds awesome. Thank you for the introduction. Now, my question here is, of course, what is subscription vending? Because I've seen the links, I've heard a lot of talk on town about it. You go to LinkedIn, you see a lot of people talking about this. But what is it? Like short-term kind of high-level overview, what is subscription vending? Great question. And I think this almost stems from the Azure landing zones, right? So I know you, you've had a podcast and you had Dom on with you to talk about Azure landing zones. Now, an Azure landing zone really helps you set up your uh, Azure tenant uh, for supporting multiple subscriptions, right? So helping you get those management groups in place, those policies in place to help you govern multiple subscriptions at scale. Because the number one challenge we hear from businesses is their application teams want to be faster. They want more control. They want more freedom. They want more power and autonomy. But you've obviously then got the, the platform side of the house or the traditional IT side of the house that wants control, security, wants to make sure they're doing the right things. Nobody's going to get themselves in newspapers, all of those sort of things. So Azure Landing Zones helps platform teams set that those side of things up. So when you get into that model where you're ready to start giving or democratizing your subscriptions out to your application teams to give them that freedom and that power, you really need to get into a, a good practice around, okay, we need to stamp these out consistently. They always look the same. They might have a little bit of flex here. You know, one might connect to the central hub network, one might not. This one might go in this management group. This one might go in another. But your shape and size of that subscription and what it looks like and what you stamp out for those initial resources will probably be the same, you know, 80, 90% of the time. And that's where we want to help customers start getting into a place of, vending subscriptions quickly for businesses we've heard you know horror stories of some businesses taking six weeks to six months to create subscriptions and put them in the right place to give to their application teams and we really want to get that bar down to you know within the same day right so we've created a set of modules using infrastructure as code so there's a terraform and bicep version of this uh, that help you create these subscriptions at scale but subscription vending is way more than that right it's also the itsm integration how do we handle this as a business flow and the logic and the approvals and all of those pieces and we've written a load of uh, cloud adoption framework guidance for that as well uh, and an azure architecture center article as well that talks about all these other different components and then where our modules that we've created fit in as well so yeah that's hopefully given you a bit of an idea of what subscription vending is Okay, uh, so so back in the day, I'm reflecting a bit back to NT4-based domains, 1997, the, the best time of my life, I think. And the, the idea back then was to have like a single on-premises domain to manage your whole enterprise. You perhaps added a few more for partners and, and external facing services. Then with Active Directory and later Azure AD, we sort of went back to having a single tenant like a single enterprise identity and, and a platform but then i think in the past 10 15 years with azure 
I'm still mostly seeing companies with one production subscription, a couple of dev test subscriptions, and the mindset seems to be that let's not add any more subscriptions because it might be more expensive, it's tougher to manage. And now with subscription vending, how I'm hearing this now is that it should be actually fairly okay to keep on adding those subscriptions based on the business needs. Is, is this sort of the way we are headed now? Absolutely. And I think even if you look back at Microsoft guidance, you know, take it back five years before myself and Tobias really were were involved in our current roles that we play, that was probably the guidance, right? Carve things up within resource groups. That was your your boundary to isolate workloads and resources. But what we saw a lot of customers run into was scalability problems, right? Especially some of our, our bigger customers or as you know, smaller customers grew you've got subscription quota limits that some of them are immovable, right? Some of them are hard and there is no way to get them increased. And when you run into those issues, it then becomes a really big blocker for customers to understand, well, what do we do now, right? This is the production subscription. We can't we can't fit any more in here. What, what, what now? And that's what we want to stop customers from getting in that mindset. You know, I think some customers will, will freak out a little and go, well, okay, well, we've got one big production subscription today. What do we do? I don't think there's anything to do right now, but to start changing the mindset towards, okay, new workloads going forward. Let's start adopting this democratized model. Let's give these subscriptions to the app teams. Let's give them to, you know, the business units that are requiring them and want the, the management of them and want the responsibility for them, including their cost. I think that's always a, a big question and coming back to that, but hand them out almost like right like hence the vending machine term like hand them out to them govern them with something like azure landing zones or effectively management groups and policy to make sure they're doing the right thing and you know make them responsible for their costs now does that mean it's more expensive absolutely not i could create ten thousand subscriptions today in my my tenant if i didn't put anything in them it still costs me nothing right there is no cost for a subscription and all of our tooling now especially within the azure portal powershell cli graph all of these different tools especially infrastructure as code they all support multiple subscriptions right they're built to handle these scenarios it's not like it's uh oh this isn't something many people do and you know i think we would say the majority of customers from what we see adopt definitely more than sort of 10 to 15 subscriptions in sort of that enterprise larger space and we've even got some customers who go to absolute extremes and go to you know the cases of hundreds of thousands of subscriptions in their tenant and you know it works really well for them because they're a large organization uh, especially in the isv space you see that more often i absolutely love the insights here and i think what you what you touched on with the uh, quote on and service limits is where when I, in my previous role before Microsoft, I, I was head of technical operations and security for a company where we built distributed cloud operations and solutions that were hosted you know, in multiple subscriptions, multiple regions. One of the things we always ended up with was, you know, the kind of first iteration many years ago was we set up one subscription for production. We set up one for test and one for QA. And that's kind of how we went with things. And then you split services per region within the same subscription. And that's how we quickly at scale. Then when things scaled up, we went into uh, the service limits, the problems, because many of the services, just as you mentioned, they have a subscription limit or a quota limit saying per subscription, you can only have or do this many transactions, or you can only have that many storage accounts and storage accounts. You can have quite a few, but there might be other services that have tighter limits. So what we found is 
if you want to get by that, you just have to, you have to, at some point you have to create a new subscription and you can put that in the next region. So you can split it by region. You can split it by application type. You can split it by whatever kind of business logic you have, as opposed to just production versus QA and dev. And, and that was a realization a couple of years back saying, all right, that this is probably the only way we can work around these, these limitations at scale. So what I love now is we didn't have this. We had Azure policies. We had some things like our own kind of templates to align with. But it, to your point, what you mentioned, it took time. So if we wanted to roll out a new subscription, that took time. What I hear now is with all these kind of safeguard or guardrails in place, like Azure policy controlling that if you do this or if you place it in this management group, we already have a bunch of Azure policies controlling what things should look like when we create a new subscription there. You don't have to think about everything around it. Or you can just say, all right, I'm going to go request a new subscription. I'm going to get it hopefully within the same day. And when you have it, you can start deploying your workloads. And that's it. So really simplifying one of the biggest problems, at least I personally had in the past in my role, to kind of work around the scaling problem. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's, you know, this is the team that we we sit in and we see this problem. And we interviewed probably 20 to 30 customers of different shape sizes from different countries. And the consistent feedback was we don't didn't have a plan for when we grew out of our prod subscription and it hurt us. And that's why we want to start changing the mindsets of customers, as we did with Azure Landing Zones, right? It's one of the design principles of subscription democratization. This is just helping customers achieve subscription democratization faster. Yeah, I, I love how a lot of customers I used to work with, and perhaps my own mindset at some point as well was, just go to the cloud, you have infinite scale, right? That was the mindset. Just put it in an Azure function, it's going to scale up to, to 2 billion, whatever, doesn't matter. That's not really true, though. So anyone no. who works in the cloud knows you have all these boundaries, both logical and business boundaries you have to abide by. And I think that's a good important point, right? It's not only the scaling side of things, but it's also the blast radius and the security angle, right? Having more subscriptions actually improves your security posture because you can more tightly control and fine grain those RBAC role assignments and PIM assignments and whatever else to that subscription. So, you know, we've all probably had this where we've got large prod subscriptions and there's somebody that by mistakes gets owner or contributor a little bit too high of a level than they should have. And now they can see everybody's work workload and now potentially they have the ability to remove those things right you know somebody only needs to run uh, a powershell script that they thought hey i've only got permissions over my resource group that's fine i'll run this it will blow it away and you know five minutes go past and gone that, that's running a little bit too long why is that still going um and then you suddenly set into oh that's that's doing stuff that isn't mine right but whereas if you separate these via subscriptions in all the CLI tooling and all of the infrastructure co-tooling, you have to target a subscription. You have to be very specific about your action, right? So, you know, you do a connect AZ account, and then the first thing you're probably going to be doing is select AZ subscription, right? Or AZ account set. You're trying to get into that subscription. You're setting your scope. So then whatever you run is within your bubble. Now, if that subscription is entirely yours, go and play with your own things. Go and break whatever you like. You are responsible for it, but you can't touch other people's. And I think the other point is noisy neighbors, right? We always hear this from some of our larger customers. Why is that, you know, my subscription quota, I, I need 15 more of these shape VMs, but I can't have them. Why? Oh, it's because all of these 15 other business units are in here and they've used them. Well, I don't care about those other 15 business units. They're nothing to do with me. And by 
putting them in the same subscription without them really realizing or understanding you've created tension within the business and now you've got another problem that you've got to solve is well who's gonna you know are they gonna give away are they gonna deallocate some so you can have some whereas actually just put them in their own subscriptions let them scale as they need to scale give them the freedom the flexibility to to manage it as they want to if they're going to have the the sla and the target on their head for maintaining their application and delivering value to the business as fast as you want them to they need to have all the the freedom at their their fingertips so they can do that i i really like this approach and i'm thinking about the governance here a little bit so you mentioned some of the crucial bits here and what I often see, and obviously my environments are super small that I use personally. I open Azure portal, I click on subscriptions, I need to modify the global filter. There's like five subscriptions, so it's fairly easy to modify that. So now if I were to log into a customer environment and let's say they have 5,000 subscriptions, is it still the same that I sort of manually tweak things here and there, or is it more about managing everything through code and automation when you get to a scale like this? No, it's a really good question. And I think, yeah, the tooling does definitely support the subscriptions at those sort of levels, you know, in the thousands of subscriptions. A lot of our portal experiences have moved towards using Azure Resource Graph, which makes this super fast and super easy to filter. Um, some cool things in the portal that people aren't often aware of is those subscription filters. You can create your own. So you could create your own subscription filters per application, per business unit, per whatever. So instead of having to manually select all the subscriptions for those applications, you could just use the subscription filters that you've created. You can also create those dynamically based on things like tags you set on subscriptions and all that stuff. So you start getting the, you know, the benefits of doing things right by using tags and those things. You can build filters really quickly. Um, but you're right. I, I think if you're going to be in an environment where it's more centrally managed, you know, central IT are managing a lot of this still, code has to become your friend because it's the only way you can repeatedly stamp things out. And also, you know, there's no like, well, this person clicked over here, but we don't know quite what they did. Whereas in code, it's very much this is what's defined. This is what's been run. We know what's happened. It helps with the change control. It helps with all those sort of things. So, yeah, absolutely. I think code is is key here in, uh, at this sort of scale. However, I think it's also important to think about this from a persona perspective, right? So it's not very common that we see uh, companies that adopt a centralized IT model do this sort of scale. They're still sort of stuck in that prod dev test UAT subscription. Now they might have a few more, they might split it per business unit or application where it's big, but you'll still very much see them stuck in that world. And over time, they will move towards more of a product driven development and they'll split out to more of a enterprise model or a distributed model where application teams will take responsibility of their applications. And what will happen at that time is they'll find it really hard to split out that application workload from a production subscription that's shared. So helping them adopt those things early now helps them in the future of changing their operating model very quickly because it's just changing our back at that stage. And then when you get to that stage, the application teams will only have two, three, four, five subscriptions, maybe, or you know, 10 max, you know, those sort of limits where these are the subscriptions that control our application and build our application. Um, whereas the platform team, yes, they're going to have sky high views looking over everything, but actually their, their view is more towards policy compliance. You know, are these things meeting our security standards? 
doing almost the the homework checking of teams, but they're not responsible for those applications anymore, right? So if there's a bug in that application, it's nothing to do with the platform team. They're there just to ensure that, you know, the networking between applications still works, they're being governed in the right way, security controls are being enforced. But aside from that, they're out, they're off the hook. And that's the nice thing about this. So it sort of goes hand in hand with your operating model. But yeah, over time, I don't think anybody's going to be expected to have 10,000 subscriptions showing in there as your portal view. You might be able to, but I don't think you'll really use it because your persona should be different of what you're you're managing in your environment. I, I really like this insight. So you said you can put different things in different subscriptions. Is there like a pattern to how we see customers doing this or is there... A recommendation we have like if you now want to democratize the subscriptions if you want to govern this at scale what is a good way to think in the past we had the logical or the business barriers with research groups for example and then we had our back on those and we kind of controlled things this way or we used them only for hey application one goes in here workload goes in there how do we think about subscriptions like what is the is there a pattern we're seeing you know is it one per app? Is it one per department? Is it one per, like, what is the norm here? So customers can kind of relate to how, how should I think about splitting things into subscriptions? You have hit the million dollar question uh, that it's, oh, I'm going to give my architect answer of it depends. But I think to help customers along with this journey, because it is something we've heard a lot. And actually, before we created the subscription vending modules, uh, myself, Matt and Kevin, who are members of the uh, customer architecture and engineering team, actually spent sort of 15 minutes in a, in a room recording a video on how many subscriptions should I use in Azure within the context of Azure landing zones, right? We're, we were all maintainers and some of us still are maintainers of Azure landing zones today. And we've put this together, right? And it really talks through the things you should consider of how many do I need? You know, is it one per app? Is it one per business unit? Is it one environment? Is it a combination of those things? I think as a line in the sand, a really good way of thinking about this for organizations that do have the typical shared prod dev test subscriptions is where you would, you know, use that democratization point of resource groups currently today just move that upper layer in the stack, right? So move that resource group splitting to subscription splitting is a really good way of thinking about it. But also another good way of thinking about it is put your, um, separate your Azure resources into subscriptions defined by their operating model. And now what I mean by that is think into the future as we were discussing in sort of the last scenario, splitting subscriptions out that are all splitting workloads out into separate subscriptions that are already deployed is very difficult, right? The Azure tooling isn't always that that good in terms of migrating things between subscriptions, and that's you know down to each individual resource, and that's something we're working on. But today there are you know some scenarios that aren't possible. You can't migrate certain resources between subscriptions without breaking something. So adopting that democratized model from the start, even if your operating model doesn't work that way today, sets you up for a very seamless transition of your operating model at a future point in time. So give put workloads in subscriptions that are likely to be managed by the same group of people that they're going to be responsible for. So you may have an application team that manages, I don't know, five applications across different business units. Now, are they always going to manage? Is, that, is a team always going to manage those same five applications? If yes, makes sense to probably put them in the similar subscriptions, right? They're all controlled by the same team. They will look after them. But if one of those applications is just sort of 
managed by that application team today, but tomorrow it could be somebody else or it could go out to a third party or something like that, then that's a good point to go. Probably that one should go in a separate subscription because it simplifies our transition of who operates it at a future point in time. And that's not only uh, change it then, it gives you the flexibility to change it as many times as you like without actually impacting the resources that are within that subscription. So everything carries on as normal and the platform team run around and change our back permissions to give permissions to somebody else, but no impact to your, your workload, no downtime, none of those things. And that's the nice thing about democratizing from the start. Um, we also, that YouTube video that I mentioned, I'm sure we'll put in the show notes. So do go and check that out. Um, it's 15 minutes. I know a lot of people go back to it and refer to it in their like design documents. So please go and share that out and give us some feedback if you if there's any more scenarios you'd like us to see cover on those. Yeah, for sure. Really? We'll put the links in the in the show notes to that as well. The, the YouTube video is I, I took a look at that. That's great. So what are the other kind of resources to start using this? Because you mentioned Terraform, you mentioned Bicep. Is that like a tool in the CLI, or is it more that you download, you connect to the repo, and you download the templates, and you hook them up yourself? Or how does it work to get started? Like practically, I wanna, I wanna have a vending machine of subscriptions. How do I get started? No, really good question. I think a good place to start is uh, the blog we published on the tech community that really groups together all of these articles that we've written and some of the YouTube videos that we've recorded as well. Uh, we also recorded uh, an Azure enablement show video for subscription vending with Thomas Maurer. So there's another short, sharp one there with a demo as well of the Terraform module. So if you head to aka.ms slash sub hyphen vending slash blog, and we'll leave this in the show notes, you'll find um, the best place to start really of what it is, how to get started, example code, where to, how to consume the modules. But taking that very quickly, both of the modules for Bicep and Terraform are published to the respective registries, right? So the Terraform module is on the Terraform registry from HashiCorp and the Bicep module is on the Bicep public registry as well. So you don't actually have to clone these repos or do anything. You can just start in your, your IDE today, you know, VS code or whatever. And then you can just start typing out that module declaration and say, hey, it's from the public registry and that's it, you're away. You don't need to do anything, right? So you can consume it like any standard module. Uh, and that's a bit of a different uh, concept for people, users of Bicep, because the public registry is, is still fairly new for those users. But our module is there and they're all version controlled as well. So when we release a new version, we're not going to break what you've got running today. You can choose to adopt our new versions when you're ready, um, but you can stay on the older versions as well. Um, so yeah, that's where I'd go and check out. And then from the, the blog post, there's two links to the, the cloud adoption framework guidance and the Azure Architecture Center guidance that we've written, which talk more around the process, the, the business side of things that I would definitely go and recommend a, a read of. Okay, uh, I sort of, I, I think I understand the the sort of the back end and the automation side here that you mentioned. But is there a need for for providing a sort of an order form for let's say the non-platform users? You you might have a data or an AI team or IT pros, and they have the need now to maybe have a couple of new subscriptions. So would that be the normal approach that you would hook up? the automation of, of, of vending those subscriptions 
to let's say a Microsoft Forms, fill out here what you're going to need, and we'll automate provision, create everything for you, give you the permissions, set some limits and apply policies, and then we'll email you when when that is done. Is is this the typical approach, or is it more like the 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 platform team sort of dictates that okay, you will now earn a subscription, so let us do it for you, and you wait for two weeks to get it. Well, absolutely, we don't want the latter, right? We don't want the platform teams to be the gatekeepers. We want them to be the guardians, but not gatekeepers. So what we've is missing from our tooling today that we provide out of the box, but is meant is talked about quite a lot in our documentation in the cloud adoption framework and Azure Architecture Center is how people should think about this because some organizations will be happy with a form being filled out and a very simple approval matrix being followed to say, yeah, that team can have a subscription. And then as you're, you quite rightly said, that form triggers a function or a logic app that then triggers the you know, uh, invocation of a pipeline that runs these subscription vending modules to spit it out and then pass them back their subscription ID. And you know, here's an email with your stuff, off you go. Now, a lot of our larger organizations actually already have a heavy investment in ITSM tooling for service requests and service catalogs that we actually see that they all want to build this. And I think out of the 20 customers we interviewed, 18 of them used ITSM tooling to do these things, um, mainly ServiceNow as well. And what they want to do is actually make this appear as another request option that somebody can go, hey, I need a new subscription, fill out some details, this is how much budget I'm going to spend roughly. And then that integrates with their existing business approval logic, right? So it might trigger a thing off the finance saying, hey, has this team got $10,000 a month to spend on Azure? Are you going to sign that off, you know, and then trigger a one off to their maybe their their management team going, hey, your team are about to adopt Azure. Are you happy with this? But that business approval logic stuff is very complicated in some organizations. So, again, instead of us getting in the way and providing something that maybe goes confusing to those organizations because those business process challenges are, are more complex and not easily solvable. We've sort of stayed out of that conversation for today and just provided almost like the car ready to go. Who gives them the keys and how they get the keys is sort of still up to the customer. We definitely talk about that in our guidance and what we recommend and how that flows. But we don't provide a, like a, a thing out of the box today that says, hey, here's a form with a logic app and pre, pre-created that will go because we realize it's a it's a bit more of a mature conversation that businesses need to have internally to work out how they want to let those keys be handed out. But looking into the future, something we are looking to do is work with ServiceNow and other ITSM vendors to actually create easy click integrations into their tooling that integrate with our subscription vending modules. Now, another thing that we may do if we get enough feedback, and I would love for people to raise issues on our GitHub repos, if you think that we should just create a power app or something like that, you know, a form and logic apps that helps customers do POCs quickly or helps those smaller customers actually just adopt something for, you know, their their use case, we would love to work and create something. So give us the give us the business justification via GitHub issues um, on our side. And that really helps us prioritize the work that we're going to invest in going into the next financial year, which is just coming up for us at Microsoft. I really like the insights here. One thing that that I'm thinking about when when we talk about all these things and we talk about the limitation of subscriptions and talk about moving up from a resource group to the subscription layer and everything you just said now, gets me thinking in the lines of, well, what if my organization is like a geo-distributed organization with multiple tenants? We have subsidiaries, might be split using multi, 
multiple tenants. I've seen that in the wild where it's not one company has one tenant, right? It could be one organization or a conglomerate, you know, whatever type of structure you have of your company, you might have multiple tenants. How does that work or does that even impact how we think about subscription vending? It, it definitely does, right? And it's uh, it's a hot topic and one I should definitely come back and talk about uh, in, in a separate video around multi-tenant and should we or should we have multiple tenants or not? It's something else that I've been working on uh, recently as part of the Azure Landing Zones guidance. But in terms of subscription vending, it does matter. Um, and typically you'll find those larger geos will have a shared billing arrangement for, you know, better commercial agreements with their cloud provider. So, yeah, absolutely. It does impact it, but the tooling supports it and we have guidance on how to adopt it and how to use it. It's slightly different per billing type. So, you know, if you're an enterprise agreement customer, it's different to how you would need to set up the prerequisites as if you were a MCA customer or Microsoft customer agreement customer. But it's completely possible. And we have customers doing it today on all of those uh, billing platforms. So, yeah, go and read our guidance. There's stuff out there on how to get it set up. And I'm actually just about to give the uh, enterprise agreement one a bit of a refresh in our product documents as well, um, based on some feedback we've had from some customers. So we're going to go and get that updated and help our product teams out to get that more customers adopting it quickly. Um, we also have got some helper scripts as well that we're going to provide that do a lot of the prereq permission setups as well. This is interesting in a way because it has opened my eyes now to understand that it's perfectly fine to expand from the traditional production test environment setup that too many customers nowadays have. It's perfectly fine to expand to multiple subscriptions as long as you have the governance, as, as long as you can automate a lot of the things. And as you mentioned, perhaps if a customer is using ServiceNow for ITSM or something else, you will hook it, hook it up in there. Is there any guidance already or is something in the plans for those customers who might have one production environment and they're looking into something like this on how can they branch out or expand the current model to be more on the subscription vending approach? There's nothing in our docs today that talk about this specifically for subscription vending. However, it's very uh, similar asks to what we get in Azure landing zones where customers have got a single subscription today. How do they transition into an Azure landing zones like architecture, which obviously is a multi subscription environment. Um, and we do have existing uh, guidance for that today that we wrote a couple of years back, but it's still very much relevant today uh, and up to date. So we'll leave a link to that in the show notes. But for those of you uh, looking to to go to that quickly it's aka.ms slash alz slash brownfield um, and you will find uh, the guidance on how to get out of a single subscription and the things to be aware of and move towards a democratized model um, but it's also a very good point you see and we'll definitely look at adding something in our subscription vending docs as almost like a an faq section on hey i'm, I'm here where do i go next uh, to help customers do that more so great feedback good stuff toby Anything else from you? Because I, I feel there's so much now that I need to study more on the resources that Jack mentioned. And this is definitely going to be an approach that I will be using with a couple of customers in the future. No 
I don't have any other questions. This was really enlightening. I, I learned a lot from this. I did understand the concept before, but this was really good to kind of elaborate on the use cases a little bit and how and when should you use it and how you think about it. So I think this has been been awesome. I think we kind of exhausted most of the high-level questions for when and, and why um, and, and also the how. We'll put all those things in the show notes, all the links, uh, including the video we talked about as well. Alrighty, the last bit is the unexpected question. And Toby, I think you get to ask one from Jack next. All right, so here's a, here's a question for you, Jack. Are you ready? Go for it. All right, what item do you hope will be obsolete in 20 years? It's a very, very good question. I think the obvious one that we'll all probably agree with is we hope that on-premise Active Directory is no longer a thing. <laughs> But in reality, it will still be here. But I think let's let's be be honest. I think we, we've always all dreamed of this for the last twenty years. So you know, what's another twenty? I think there's some very short term things that I would love to see changed and love to see evolve in the platform. You know, like the five hundred VNet peering limits between subscription between VNets. I think would be a great one to see move move away from. I also think that you know, I would love to see from my side cross-tenant management groups is my, is my big thing, right? So lots of customers are adopting a multi-tenant uh, setup, rightly or wrongly. Again, I would love to come back and chat about that one with you, you guys. But one thing they all struggle to then do is automate the management of those multiple tenants, especially on the Azure side at scale. Now, obviously, we've got some guidance that we, we do try and help customers there, but it is a complex task today. So if we were to able to move management groups to be a cross-tenant experience, and people could apply policies from like a, a managing tenant perspective, you think about it like that, I think it would be amazing so that you could apply your governance standards once across all your tenants from an Azure side and, you know, make your platform team's life very easy. So in terms of what do I want to be obsolete, the limitations of management groups being only in supported in a single tenant is what I want to be obsolete. <laughs> But, you know, we, we can dream into the future. But, yeah, there's a couple of uh, things that I would love to see moving in time. This is this is awesome. I cannot say that I've been hoping for the same because I've yet to see the VNet limitation in any of my customers for the peering. But eventually when we hit that, I will remember these words and, <laughs> and, and, and hope that Jack got it done for us in the next 20 years. <laughs> Fingers crossed. I'll be back yes. in 20 years to let you know. Good stuff. Thank you, Jack, for joining us. And thank you, everybody in the audience. See you next week.